Hello, everyone. This is Paul Rodden, and I want to welcome you back to the Hydrogen Podcast. So the big questions in the energy industry today are, how is hydrogen the primary driving force behind the evolution of energy? Where is capital being deployed for hydrogen projects globally? And where are the best investment opportunities for early adopters who recognize the importance of hydrogen? I will address the critical issues and give you the information you need to deploy capital. Those are the questions that will unlock the potential of hydrogen, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Paul Rodden, and welcome to the Hydrogen Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest on the show, and I'm excited to do a deep dive on his company and where they're headed. My guest today is Ravi Prosher, the Chief Technology Officer for Bloom Energy, and also serves as an adjunct professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at UC Berkeley, where he advises PhD candidates. Now, prior to joining Bloom Energy, Robbie was the Associate Lab Director of Energy Technology Area at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory. His responsibilities included managing research and development in a wide variety of areas, including fuel cells, hydrogen production, storage and transport, electrochemical and thermal storage, carbon capture, microgrids, and renewable energy, among others. He was also a senior scientist at LBNL, where he conducted research in thermal science and engineering. Robbie's experience includes being one of the first program directors at U.S. Department of Energy's high-risk, high-reward funding agency, or ARPA-E, and serving as the technology development manager of Intel's thermal management group. Robbie has published more than 125 archival papers in top science and engineering journals and holds more than 35 patents. Welcome, Robbie. Thank you for joining us here on the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Paul. Delighted to be here. So I've got a bunch of questions for you, but before we go into a deep dive into Bloom Energy, I was wondering if I could get your thoughts on the overall state of the hydrogen industry, and would you mind talking about what you think is driving this resurgence in the industry and how it will play a role in shaping the energy transition? Yeah, I mean, I think this is a great time to be in the hydrogen field. <clears throat> and why it's a resurgence? Because, you know, there are certain sectors which are very hard to decarbonize, uh, particularly the industrial sector like uh, uh, chemical, steel, or long-haul transport like shipping or trucking. These are the sectors which are very hard to decarbonize. And hydrogen provides you the pathway to decarbonize those sectors. If, In fact, if you look at uh, today, in a lot of these sectors, natural gas, for example, is not only the fuel in the industry, it's also the feedstock. So hydrogen, in a way, you can look at hydrogen as a replacement for natural gas sometime in the future, where hydrogen becomes the fuel as well as the feedstock. And that is one of the biggest reasons you see so much of innovation and excitement about hydrogen. Now, Bloom Energy empowers businesses and communities to take responsibility and to take charge of their energy. The company's leading solid oxide platform for distributed generation of electricity and hydrogen is changing the future of energy. Fortune 100 companies around the world are turning to Bloom Energy as a trusted partner to deliver lower carbon energy today for a net zero future. Can you give our audience a detailed overview of what makes Bloom Energy so special and really what sets your technology apart from your competitors? Yeah, so I would say, let's start with this. First of all, as you mentioned, the Bloom's technology, whether it is electrolysis for hydrogen 
which we will talk about further in this podcast, as well as the fuel cell. Both of them are based on the solid oxide platform. Okay, so that platform is basically as a high temperature platform, which converts in the case of fuel cell, it very efficiently converts any kind of fuel. It's more more fuel independent. So today it's a natural gas. It can be hydrogen, or it could be uh, methanol, or it could be ammonia. Right, that can be fed into the fuel cell, and it will give you electricity. And and on the other way around, when you reverse it, you know you you put uh, steam, and then we get hydrogen out. Okay, so the the, the solid oxide fuel cell, which is the Bloom has perfected it over the period of 20 years. The the platform is very robust. And one of the biggest advantages of very high temperature system like the solid oxide system is the energy efficiency is very high. Okay, so when you get gas, let's say you have natural gas or biogas, you know when you convert it to electricity, at the beginning of life the efficiency is as high as 61%, which is same as combined cycle natural gas power plant, large scale power plants. Okay, but you're getting the same efficiency at a distributed scale. Imagine outside the building you have this. Bloom energy servers, an efficiency of that energy server is same as a very large scale combined cycle plant, right? And then if combined that very high efficiency, you really get minimized amount of uh, CO2 coming out per unit of electricity. And the one another reason why it is you know preferred by a lot of customers is because of the distributed nature, because it provides high level reliability and resiliency in the system. Uh, in fact, we, if you go to our website, we say we have an always-on microgrid, right? And be, because the way the system works is that if you know it's configured in a way that it can run completely independent of the grid, and it can completely follow the load, and that provides very high level of uh, resiliency to the customers as well as reliability. In fact, there have been cases where some of the customers have lost power from the grid for seven days, but because they had a Bloom server, they did not lose any power, which was any system which was being connected, operated by the Bloom server. And, and those are some of the main reasons that on the fuel cell side, there's so much of excitement uh, among the customers. I love that. And we're, I want to talk about that more a little bit later. And I can just pepper you with questions about Bloom's technology, especially that solid oxide electrolyzer. Before I do, though, would you mind giving the audience a comparison of the various electrolyzer technologies that are out there, like the solid oxide electrolyzers, the PEM, the proton exchange membranes, and the alkaline electrolyzers? Yeah, so first of all, at the highest level, you can say there are two types of technologies. One is a low temperature technology, another is a high temperature technology. One is based on, uh, low temperatures are based on where you feed water, and the high temperature is based on where you feed steam, okay, at the highest level. Now, in the low temperature, you have two mature technologies. One is the PEM, the proton exchange membrane, as you mentioned, and the alkaline. Alkaline is the oldest technology in the market. It's more than 100 years old, I believe. And, and the high temperature side where steam fed is the solid oxide system. Okay. So, and that is where the Bloom uh, Bloom's technology is based on solid oxide. Now, the advantage of the high temperature is, I put it two ways. One is the, and the, the physics itself tells you that the energy efficiency, that means amount of hydrogen, kilogram of hydrogen that you get per unit of electricity is going to be much, much higher at, for the high temperature system, like the, our solid oxide system. Roughly 25 to 30% better, okay, compared to the low temperature system. Right? That just comes from the physics itself. 
And the second thing is that you, if you go to load up with a system, typically you PEM, for example, you have to use very expensive catalysts like platinum and iridium. That again goes back to chemistry. If you have higher temperature, you can get away with, with cheaper catalyst. You know, that's what catalyst does. Catalyst can reduce the temperature at which the reaction takes place. So if you so since they are at low temperature, they have to use a very expensive catalyst. Whereas in this high temperature system, you know, they can use uh, you know industrial catalyst, readily available catalyst like nickel. That makes overall, I would say, system cost as well as reliability probably more robust, and you don't have to depend on very expensive materials. So that's a really good overview on the also the energy efficiency of the different types of technology and you know as if someone were to be a consumer of those technologies what the difference is and why those efficiencies matter it really it sounds like it also boils down to just the the cost of the unit itself the materials used within those yeah so two things right i mean you have the energy cost and the cost of the capital and you know how uh, supply chain is another major issue when you're looking at developing technologies but overall uh, you know, the cost of energy is going to dominate, okay? 70 to 80% of the cost of hydrogen will be basically because of the energy cost, electricity cost, right? So energy efficiency becomes very, very important. And there's no way out of it because just, just the basic chemistry of breaking hydrogen molecule into hydrogen and oxygen, the theoretical minimum energy required itself is high, okay? So, so there's no way out of it. It's going to be energy is going to be a dominant factor in the cost. So... You know, every ounce that you save, or in this case, every kilowatt hour that kilowatt hour that you save, and more ounces of a kilogram of hydrogen you produce, is going to be very, very critical. So, and I reported on this fairly recently that Bloom Energy's solid oxide electrolyzer is one of, if not the most efficient electrolyzers on the market. I was also reading up on the performance validation of Bloom's electrolyzer by the DOE's Idaho National Lab. Would you mind talking about how it works and the benefits of using your electrolyzer technology? I'm also interested to see if you could go into detail about the incredible efficiency that was recorded during the DOE's testing. Right, right. That's great. I mean, so look, having worked in DOE myself and in National Lab, I know one of the biggest benefits of doing a, a testing in National Lab is that they publish the results, okay? Test many different technologies, right? So I know National Lab testing started last year, and in fact, they are next week. I'm actually going to be in Washington D.C. They are reporting the findings in Department of Energy Merit Review Meeting (AMR). So it's on June 7th when Idaho National Lab is going to publicly show the results in the DOE meeting. Okay, and the results are just amazing. First of all, this is the most efficient electrolyzer they have ever tested. Okay, is on record. This is when the director said that. Uh, you know, the best performance was roughly 37.7 kilowatt hour per kilogram of hydrogen. It's just mind boggling. Uh, so that's one part of it. You know, they have tested in adverse condition many times. You can imagine what happens in Idaho Falls. The temperature fell way below zero. The electrolyzer still worked. They had to stop and start electrolyzer many times, primarily because they had some troubles on the grid side of thing, electricity supply. So there were a lot of stop, stop and start still the electrolyzer works beautifully. So already they have collected around 5,000 hours of data without any problem, beautiful efficiency. And at the same time, they also conducted a test on, on ramp up and ramp down. So we can go from 100% power to 5% power in 10 minutes, right? And the beauty is, these are the results they're gonna report. 
is that even at 5% rated capacity, they're finding out that the energy efficiency is still better or as good as other technologies at their rated capacity. Okay. That, so that has surprised them even further, which is which is you know just tells you the robustness of, of the bloom electrolyzer. So 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 those are the results. You know, they are already they will be published next year uh, next month. And then you, you may have heard or seen uh, the press release that we did that NASA Moffett site, where actually companies started from the NASA Moffett site. That's where you know 20 years ago. So we have access to big space there. We basically right now are running the largest solid oxide electrolyzer system in the world. It's a four megawatt system, wow. uh, which is producing hydrogen. We have a lot of visitors coming there because that shows the commercial readiness of our platform. And I want to tell you that the, the energy efficiency of the four megawatt system is very similar to one box that 50 or 100 kilowatt system that Idaho National Lab was testing. That tells you the, the repeatability of the performance. And we were able to do this four megawatt project from start to finish in two months. And the reason I want to point that out is that shows you that we can do things with speed. And one of the main reasons is two reasons. One is the, if you look at the bloom electrolyzer, very modular. These are boxes you can, it's like cut and paste. And all the learning that we have from the fuel cell. We have de deployed roughly one gigawatt of fuel cell in the market. We monitor every fuel cell. And since it is the same platform, that learning has come very handy when we are developing or installing the, the electrolyzer system. And so anyway, we are very pleased with all this performance. I must I mean, say it's, that. It's, it's, a, it's great news. It's great technology. The way you're pushing the electrolyzer technology forward, it's amazing. And the, the results you're getting it's kind of cliche to say they speak for themselves, but they really do. They're they're phenomenal. And you know, here on the show, we've covered Bloom several times for a while now, and I feel like the company's had a number of game-changing announcements for hydrogen and the electrolyzer markets. The partnership with Excel Energy at Prairie's, Prairie Island Nuclear Generating Plant to install your electrolyzer, the massive project in Canada with World Energy GH2 and the world's largest solid oxide electrolyzer installation at NASA's Ames Research Center, which you were talking about. Any one of these puts Bloom on the map, but everything you have going on right now is fascinating. Would you mind discussing any of these large-scale demonstrations, talking about how they're important to the hydrogen industry? Yeah, very well. Actually, we are very excited. Let me talk about the world energy, for example, okay? So, you know, you probably saw this announcement that uh, world energy and Esco Eco plant, uh, you know, they want to have a develop a first of a kind ammonia, world scale ammonia deployment in Canada, New in Newfoundland. Okay. And the world energy is a very is a large and a leading developer of renewable fuels projects and a pioneer in SAF, which is sustainable aviation fuel. And this this project is on green ammonia, uh, what they are developing on the west coast of Newfoundland. And uh, so they have they are looking at SOEC very seriously, and you saw the announcement, and we are very excited about it. They have not exactly, there's going to be this world energy project will have both PEM and electrolyzer, uh, solid, solid oxide. Exact combination, they have not decided yet, like how many exact megawatts will go in PEM and how much will go in SOEC. But it is a great first step because they want the first hydrogen is planned in 2025, and then they expect the first ammonia from that plant in 2026. 
that project itself will be a big deal because you know it will be producing hydrogen and you know there's ammonia plant next to it at the same time it is located where there's a lot of wind energy available okay high capacity wind power so capacity factor so you have wind because as i said earlier that energy cost is very important so and you also need farm power you need a pre- with you know high availability of renewable energy and and this particular site has a very high good availability of wind power we are super excited about it i would say let's wait for the exact announcement how many exact how many megawatts of soec we are still under discussions but you know uh, but the project will go operational in 2025 we have with hydrogen production i can't wait to see the, the results on that going back to what you had mentioned earlier also i really love that always on microgrid technology i love it can you take a moment to talk a little bit more about that and the impact that it can have on communities and businesses that need backup power generation during catastrophic events here in houston hurricanes we also have had the freezes historically where electricity and grids have gone down it's something that i feel like every city in america needs to have this tied into their local infrastructure in case of emergencies it's like a you know modular power plant that can just save the day when it's needed right so i, I as i mentioned earlier right our, our always in our microgrid first of all let me say how it is different okay it is different because it is configured to also run completely independent of the grid okay and it can very nicely follow the load so whereas you know if you have a backup power like diesel or something else there you have many challenges uh, you know, first of all, you can't be completely grid dependent because you will require a lot of diesel just stored. Then you, of course, have smog and all kind of particular socks, knocks, and all these other kind of problems, environmental challenges that you have, right? But in our case, you know, it's connected to the natural gas line, which you have available next to most of the facilities. Uh, natural gas lines are buried inside the ground. So, you know, it can very easily continue working. And, and th- that is one of the reasons customers really love it. Uh, right and at the same time other te- technology like batteries and all again you know batteries can last four or five hours not more than that can't provide you continuous power so in a serious grid outage battery is not the answer uh, so those are some of the aspects of the technology or the microgrid which the customers love and at the same time it's silent i mean there's hardly any noise you know if you're next to the bloom system you will not even know that this is generating electricity uh, but you know in the microgrid also we can also combine very nicely the the we have microgrid solutions where there are batteries, there are solar panels, and then there is the Bloom system, right? Mm-hmm. So it can, we can also do a hybrid microgrid where you have a lot of other technologies at the same time. So in that sense, again, the system is very, very flexible. And what happens in those cases is that, you know, when the sun is shining, great, you get all the, a lot of your power from, from the sun, maybe charge some of your battery. Uh, but, you know, Bloom, Bloom, this modular power plant is always can give you the base load, right? All the time, right? So those are some of the aspects of the technology and the flexibility in the technology is what the customers really love about the Bloom, always on microgrid. And you know, so much of the utilization talk now with hydrogen, it geared so much towards transportation that I think a lot of the applications for for in particular these microgrids and the electrolyzers and fuel cells kind of get lost in the mix. But this is really one of those times when it, it should be highlighted what you can do with this microgrid technology it's not just cities but you know, hospitals uh colleges schools 
any anytime you can replace these diesel generators with this fuel cell technology and application, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. You don't there's you don't have to worry about greasing, mechanical failures, anything like that. We do try on on this podcast to talk about it as much as possible. It's just a great application for fuel cells outside of transportation. And I would say yes, absolutely. We are totally agree with you. So, and and I, let me digress a little bit. So, fuel cell that is one of the differentiators. So, our fuel cell is much better suited for stationary application. Mm-hmm. Okay, because that's the that's the beauty of the solid oxide. Whereas, if you look at PEM, which is probably better suited for transportation applications. Okay. Uh, because you know that's the that's some of the traits of the technology. So if you look at our fuel cell application, we are everywhere. It's all stationary application, data centers, hospitals, uh, you know, WalMarts of the world. Those are the kind of customers we have. But in the future, as you say, say you know everybody is shooting for much cheaper hydrogen, right? Today, today we are using natural gas in our fuel cell. We can also use biogas. We have quite a few projects going on, but. But in the future, when when hydrogen becomes, you know, really cost effective, then 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 yes, I mean, in, you know, your 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 microgrid, fuel cell based microgrid could be running directly on hydrogen, and in fact, I would say even today, uh, the technology that we have essentially is a hydrogen fuel cell. What we do is that we have natural gas coming in, we do reformation on the cell, the solid oxide cell, and it basically the reformation creates hydrogen on the locally on the cell, and so. At the end of the day, it is it is a hydrogen fuel cell, which is <laughs> except right now we are feeding natural gas in it, and internally we of course have really good results coming out on you know uh, pure hydrogen gas fuel cell based fuel cell. But in the future, yes, I mean I think there's a lot of interest in the, in in data center and and some of these application data centers where they're waiting for hydrogen to become much more cost competitive, and then probably that can become the fuel of to power the data centers. So I've got one last question for you before we head out. That is, you obviously have a wealth of experience in the hydrogen industry. Would you give us your thoughts on the current state of the industry and where you think hydrogen is headed in the future? I would say, as I said in the beginning, right, some of the very hard to decarbonize sectors, the chemical industry and the and, and the steel industry, are very very seriously looking at hydrogen, and at the same time, you have the Inflation Reduction Act, which provides significant impetus to the industry, right? So there are a lot of flurry of activities happening. Although we are talking mostly about hydrogen hydrogen production, equally important is going to be, you know, transport of hydrogen, storage of hydrogen, and offtake of hydrogen. Okay, yep. so those are the things which are still being debated and discussed. Like, do we need solar or a wind farm next to the electrolysis plant and next to the ammonia plant, mm-hmm. or can it be somewhere else? Those are all the things to watch for, and probably in six months there will be a lot of clarity. So it's also, it's almost like hydrogen is uh, the electrolysis is the engine of a plane, a jet engine, but you, you need to still build a lot of other parts together, important parts. So so that is where I would say uh, there's a lot of discussion and debate, and 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 still the answers are not very very clear, right? But in terms of applications, I think it's very clear. Uh, some of the industrial sector will be first off takers of hydrogen. Particularly, as I said, the World Energy Project, they're very interested. Ammonia is, is in one of the biggest things people are talking about. And one of the main reasons is, apart from the fact that ammonia is, this, I think, the second largest chemical produced in the world because it goes in fertilizers, 
ammonia is a great hydrogen carrier right right so it's not easy to otherwise transport hydrogen so uh, ammonia is a great hydrogen carrier you can do you know intercontinental transport of ammonian ships uh, so basically that's another main reason that ammonia is is probably one of the very first applications that industry is going towards Ravi, this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed learning more about your solid oxide electrolyzer. I look forward to seeing more of that in the future. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot for giving me the opportunity, Paul. Uh, and and you know, and thanks for doing this uh, hydrogen podcast. This is, I call this is the era of hydrogen. Finally, hydrogen has arrived. I think so too, and we're happy to do it. All right, everyone, if you enjoyed listening to Ravi's views on the hydrogen industry and want to check out his company, Bloom Energy, we highly recommend visiting their website at www.bloomenergy.com to learn more. Thanks again. I hope you have a great day and take care. Hey, this is Paul. I hope you liked this podcast. If you did and want to hear more, I'd appreciate it if you would either subscribe to this channel on YouTube or connect with your favorite platform through my website at www.thehydrogenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. I very much appreciate it. Have a great day.